Oh, good morning, church. Good morning. And uh, this morning we're beginning a brand new series. I'm really excited about this series. It's called God's Dwelling Place, the story before the story. And so we're going to be walking through this series and I'm just so excited to see what God's going to teach us and the way we're going to grow spiritually throughout this series. Now, let me tell you, when I was growing up, the big movie was Star Wars. I don't know, some of you may have grown up and you watched Star Wars, but it was, it was big. I didn't get to go see like the first one in the movie theater. They was a little too young for that. But, but I did, you know, like get excited about it because people were talking about it. And then, you know, then I watched it and it was like, oh, this is so cool, you know. And it was like this amazing thing. Nobody ever really kind of done that before. And then you see these characters develop. And then the next one comes back. You know, the Empire Strikes Back. And then you got the Return of the Jedi. So you had these three movies and people were like, oh, Star Wars. They had the action figures and people were like all into it and it was really big. It was kind of the big movie that was out. And, and you know, the movie's really good. I mean, you got this, you know, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and this good versus evil. And so then afterwards, after 1983, there was this long break and there were all these rumors like, oh, they're going to make another Star Wars and it's going to come out and it's going to be great. And everybody's thinking, okay, well, it's going to be the next one that's in line. But then it just got closer. People said, oh no, it's the prequel. And you're like, prequel? What's that? I mean, people didn't really do prequels back then. You know, it was like always sequels. It was something else that was going to be more about the story. But then you go, oh, wait a minute. They're going to do the story before the story. And so 1999, the movie releases and, you know, all these people were there. And we went. I was a student pastor at the time. So we took some of our juniors and seniors to the opening midnight show. And we go. And there were, like, people, like, so into it. I got to tell you. I mean, people were, like, dressed up. And they're having, like, lightsaber fights in the parking lot. And I was like, wow, okay. You know, but <laughs> we went and watched it. And it was, it was okay. It wasn't as good as, like, the original ones were. But it was good. And then you just saw that one. And then they did another one. You know, so one, two, and three come out. But what was amazing was then as you watch those movies, you're like, oh, those movies now make sense because I've seen the prequel. Right now I know why Darth Vader, you know, turned bad. Now I understand where Luke Skywalker, now I understand the Jedi thing. And you didn't understand that when you watched 4, 5, and 6. And it wasn't until you saw the story before the story. And then it started to make sense. You know how you meet somebody sometimes and maybe they're new at work or maybe they're in the neighborhood and, and you meet them and you're like, I really like them, you know, but I wonder, you know, kind of they say this thing or they do this thing, I wonder why they do that. And then you hear their story and you listen to their story and you're like, oh, now I get it. Now I know where you grew up, you know, now it makes sense, right? Now I understand. But now I get it because this is your family dynamic. Now I understand that something happens when you and I know the story before the story. And that's exactly what happens here in the Old Testament. And a lot of times we want to stick to the New Testament. I do too. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. You know, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all about Jesus and it's all about Christ. Praise be to God. And so we want to camp out there, which is the supremacy of Christ. But then you kind of move in. You're like, oh, the early church in Acts or in Romans, this great theology and doctrine. And you get the Pauline epistles that are, you know, just so rich. And then you get into Revelation. But when you go back many times and you look in the Old Testament and you start to study the Old Testament, it gives you a depth and a richness to the New Testament. Because you're like, this is the character of God, right? This is who God is. This is what God was doing. And it sets the entire stage. So in our series, we're going to go back and look at something that was so significant and it's recorded there in Exodus, and it's for all of us. And as we dive into this tabernacle and this building out of God dwelling with his people, we get a deeper, richer understanding of what God's doing even 
today. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to Exodus 25. Exodus 25, second book of the Bible. And we're going to be unpacking this scripture together. I'm really excited about it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles for you. You can pull up a mobile device and access the scriptures at version. We'll put the scripture on the screen. But let me set the stage before we dive into our text today, okay? Genesis, first book of the Bible, right? God creates man. And God creates man for a relationship with him. In fact, if you ever wonder, why am I here? You know, what, what's my purpose on this earth? It's for you to have a relationship with God. And life only makes sense when you start to work on this relationship. And we spend all of our time trying to fix our marriage, fix our coworkers, fix our kids, you know. But it's this relationship. And when you dive into this relationship, it impacts everything else. So Genesis 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve for a relationship with him. And he puts them in this beautiful garden. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. And God's in right relationship with them. God's dwelling among them. And they're in right relationship with one another. But then comes Genesis 3. And even in this beautiful garden, God puts this one tree. He says, hey, look, you, you got the rivers, you got the waterfalls, you've got all these trees. But this one tree, just don't eat from it. And people come up and they'll say, well, Jeff, why did God put that tree there? You know, I mean, why, why, why is it even there? Right? I mean, things are so good. Why? I'll tell you this. Because love is only love if you have a choice. Right? It, you know, Adam and Eve weren't robots. This wasn't like a zoo. They kind of go and watch them. Right? They, it, they had a choice. You and I, right, we can choose to sin. We all know that. Or we can choose to love God. And so God says, I'm giving you all of this, but there is that one tree. I just want you to stay away from it, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you. And, and sure enough, Adam and Eve, like us, many times, well, God, thank you for all this, but what about that, you know? And they go and they take and they eat. And so Genesis 3, right, sin enters in. You got the sin. You got the curse. And there's consequences to sin. But if you keep reading through Genesis, God doesn't give up on them and God doesn't give up on us. And God calls out in Genesis 12 a guy named Abraham and says, Abraham, leave your country, your people, and go to a land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And Abraham at 75 says, okay, God, I'll trust you. You know, you're never too old to follow God, okay? Never too old, right? So Abraham comes down, follows God, trusts God. God brings him in this great land. He starts to have kids. The nation is growing and God's saying, from this nation, I'm going to bring the Messiah, the salvation of the world. And while they're multiplying there in the promised land, things are great. And then a famine comes. And they go down to Egypt. And they get down to Egypt and God takes care of them in Egypt. And they're living in Goshen and it's really rich and wonderful and things are great. But when the famine's over, they decide we're going to stick around in Egypt. God, we're good. Thank you. I know that land's for us. But we kind of like it here with the world. <laughs> we are kind of gotten comfortable. And so after a little while, the Egyptians make them slaves and say, hey, you guys are growing too much. Now you're going to work for us. And I want you to build our pyramids. We want you to do all these things. And then they call out to God. And God sends a deliverer named Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. We've got an economic boom here. We've got all these slaves. And God's like, uh, no, I'm serious about this. So 10 plagues come, 10 plagues come. And finally, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians go, leave. And so the people walk out of Egypt and they make an exodus. So the first book, Genesis. Second book, Exodus. And Exodus is the story of them leaving Egypt and heading back 
to the promised land. And on their journey, they walk through the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness that God meets them here in Exodus 25. So pick up here in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil, for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then, notice this, verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So first thing I want you to see is this. God longs to dwell with his people. God longs to dwell with his people. Notice this. It was God's desire. This was God's idea, right? The Lord said to Moses. See, God was dwelling with his people back in Genesis 1 and 2. And then when sin entered into the picture... Now you have a holy God and you got sinful man. And there's this separation. But God wants to be with his people. And so you have the tabernacle. He says, hey, build this sanctuary for me. Build this place where I could be. Later on we'll see the temple, you know, and then you'll see in the New Testament Christ. Then you'll see in Revelation God's dwelling is with man. But it's all about God longing to be with his people. I want you to see this also, that God invites the people to be involved. God invites his people to be involved. Now, God doesn't need us, okay? Newsflash, right? He's God. We're not. I mean, he's sovereign overall. God could have made a sanctuary and just kind of brought it down and stuck it right in the middle of their camp and said, hey, this is where I'm going to be if you need me right here. You know, but he says, no, 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 no. The Lord said to Moses, hey, you are to receive an offering from me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. So God says, hey, invite my people to be involved in this and have them bring an offering. Now think about this for a moment. Where did they get gold and bronze and, you know, all this fabric and this linen? And where did they get that? Because they were slaves in Egypt. You know where they got it? (laughs) When God delivered his people out and that last plague, the death angel passes over and the Egyptians are like, go. And they just start giving them things, right? Here, take this gold. Here, take this stuff. You go. You go. And they walked out and they literally plundered the Egyptians. They like took all this stuff with them. And God's like, I'll make sure you get paid for those 400 years, right? I'll make sure that you get some compensation. I'll make sure I'll take care of you. And so everything God's asking them to do, to give, is out of an abundance of what he's already given them. So God says, hey, you know, as your heart prompts you, if you want to be involved in this, you come on and jump in. Now, there's a biblical difference between a tithe and an offering. Okay, there's a biblical difference between a tithe and an offering. A tithe is when we give our first 10% to God. I mean, that's like, you know, all throughout Scripture, it's like Christianity 101. It's, you know, for Lisa and I, we've been doing this since we've been kids. Our first, you know, anytime we get paid, our first 10% goes back to God. And God institutes that so that money doesn't become our God and rule our lives. And God also says, give the first, right? Because if you wait till the end of the month, you know, if you give your leftovers, there's 
never anything left over, right? Because we always spend it all. We kind of come up with no ideas to spend it. And God doesn't want our leftovers anyway. So a tithe is when we go, okay, we've got a paycheck. I'm going to write my first 10%. It's going to go to God. But there's also an offering. And you see this throughout Scripture when God will say, just bring an offering. And that's as your heart prompts you. And an offering is over and above your tithe. An offering is when you go, oh, man, God just stirred in my heart. And there's this mission organization or this thing that's happening with this person. And, and I want to help or we want to help. And you give an offering or you see disaster relief and you give an offering. Or, or you see something in a person who need and you just give an offering. Or we have something at church and you go, yes, I want to be involved. Well, you could see that. And so God says, hey, I'm involving all my people in this. You guys bring an offering and then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell. I love that. I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. You know, tabernacle actually means dwelling place. Tabernacle actually means dwelling place. And it's like God says, hey, I want to come down and dwell with you. I want to come down and be with you you. Now, he says, you know, make it all exactly like the furnishings, you know, exactly like I will show you. And if you go into Exodus 26, God reveals this, and he starts telling them, hey, make these poles a certain length, you know, and make these clasps, and put this curtain over here, and make it portable, because I want you to be able to pick it up with you. And when you move through the desert, and you set up camp somewhere else on your way back to the promised land, you can set up this, you know, tabernacle, and wherever you are, it's just portable worship center. And he says to them, I want you to make, you know, this wash basin and this altar. And I want you to sacrifice animals because there's sin. And I want to do something about that sin. And I'm holy and you're sinful. And then there's going to be a big tent. And in that big tent, that's where the priest will go in and offer those sacrifices. But there's going to be a holy place and a big curtain that's going to separate that. And that's where I'm going to live and there'll be the Ark of the Covenant, which will represent my presence. And one time a year on Yom Kippur, you come in there and offer a sacrifice, the high priest only. But you understand that. But I want to be with you. Now, the tabernacle is an amazing, amazing structure. And uh, I wanted to build it. I wanted us as a church. I thought, how cool would it be building on a field over there? But, but then I thought, that would be crazy. So we, we didn't do that. But I will tell you this, that about a year ago, we took a biblical study tour and went to Israel. With a group from our church, and we go about every three years, and at some point, you got to do it. It's incredible. The Bible just comes to life. But we were down in the wilderness, literally where they were, walking through there, hiking through there, and some, a group of people have built a replica of the tabernacle. And so we took some video, and I want you to see it right here. Hey, I'm standing here in the Negev wilderness out here, and right behind me is a replica of the tabernacle. Now, you know, when the children of Israel came out of the land of slavery, God took them through the Red Sea, and God met them in the desert at Mount Sinai, and God gave them the Ten Commandments, we know this through the book of Exodus, and God told them how to live. But God, this holy God, gracious God, wanted to be with his people. Our God is a relational God. And so God said, hey, build a tabernacle where you can come and offer sacrifices. So this is where the daily sacrifice started, so that God could be with his people. And God would dwell among the people, and the people would come to worship their God. Our God is a holy God. He is perfect. There is no sin in him. Yet we are sinful, right? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. 
and yet the people would come and be able to offer sacrifices. You can see behind me the tabernacle, you can see the altar outside, you can see the wash basin, and then the holy place where they would go, and then the Holy of Holies where on Yom Kippur, that one day of atonement, one time a year, where the high priest would offer the sacrifices for the sins of all the people, and the scapegoat with that would go out into the wilderness. So what you're gonna see here is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us, and God already preparing in the Old Testament for the coming of his son, for the redemption and the restoration for all people, right? Not just for the Jews, but for us, the Gentiles as well, for all people to have salvation. And so you're gonna see this unfold. We're starting an incredible study about the tabernacle. And we're gonna be walking through these passages in Exodus, and we're gonna see God's word come to life. And we're gonna see the parallels for what it means for us today. I'm excited about what God's teaching us, the way God's growing us, and the invitation of God himself to dwell with us Christ ultimately in us, the hope of glory, and that Christ what comes alive in us. We'll watch it unfold through the tabernacle. So the tabernacle, we'll see over the next several weeks as God says, hey, build this Ark of the Covenant. We're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant next week and what that means and what that was. And, you know, we're going to just unpack that. We'll see the furnishings in the weeks to come. And we'll see all this about the tabernacle because it's all pointing us to the greater God who is sovereign over all. But this morning, I just kind of want to paint the big picture of what the tabernacle represents and what it means for us. Number one is this. The tabernacle means this, that God comes to us. God comes to us. Now that, that's powerful, okay? It may sound simple, but I want to tell you it's revolutionary. Because back as you study history, you know, the gods were always off in a distance. You, you didn't really know the gods. In fact, there's people today that will say, well, aren't all religions the same? Do you ever hear that? Aren't all religions the same? No, they're not. <laughs> I mean, they're not. If you go and study major world religions, right? If you look at Islam and you look at Hinduism, you look at Buddhism, their God or supreme being or higher power is unapproachable or unknowable or unpleasable, right? And so you've got this higher power out there, this supreme being that you can't please. They're up there on a whole different level than man is down here. Now man, right, in other religions, you try to do enough good things and somehow maybe the supreme being will recognize your effort, you know. And maybe you'll be rewarded and you'll be reincarnated in a different state or a higher state or, you know, different thoughts there in these different world religions. But this right here is fundamentally different. This is what separates Christianity from every other major world religion. Is Christianity is God comes to us. God's saying that you'll never be good enough. None of us will. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. We'll never be perfect. So God comes to us. God's approachable. God wants us to know him. God wants to be in relationship with us. That is just a revolutionary thought when it comes to religion. And you see this right here with the tabernacle, God longing to dwell with his people. And as you move into the New Testament, right, it tells us this in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, <laughs> don't, don't, don't skip over that part, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
It's not that we get our whole act together and then I'm going to come to God. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to get everything right in my life. I'm going to get everything right at work. I'm going to get everything right in my soul, my spirit. And then I'm going to come to God and go, here I am. No, it's while we were still sinners, God comes to us. God is there. So God came to his people back in the Old Testament. And we see in the New Testament, God comes to us through Christ. We see that today. God comes to us through his son while we are still sinners. The second thing the tabernacle shows us big picture wise is this. Our God is a holy God. Our God is a holy God. This is so important. Because holy means to be set apart. Holy means to be different. And sin is a big deal to God, okay? Now, a lot of times in our world today, we kind of are casual about sin. We're like, yeah, whatever. Everybody's doing it. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I mean, come on. You know what? But I want to tell you, sin is a big deal to God. And the question is, are we pursuing holiness? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, right? Be holy because He is holy. And our call is to be holy. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but our call is that are we pursuing holiness? Are we pursuing the Lord? And this plays out in a powerful way. In Jeremiah, it tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Lord searches the heart and examines the mind. So what's that saying is, yeah, we can put it right on the outside. We can go around and say, hey, we've got it, you know, all together, we're fine. But the Lord examines the mind and searches the heart. You see, guys, we live in a world, and this world would tell us this, that, hey, pornography, it's not that big of a deal. But God would say it's a big deal. Because that sin will destroy you. And God says, I love you too much. I don't want you walking down that path. And guys, you know, man, you you put that in your mind and those images don't go away. They stay there. And they begin to erode our capacity for intimacy. Intimacy with with our God, with our spouse, with our future spouse, because it's right there. And and that's why it says in Philippians, right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. And ladies, you, you may not be, you know, physically looking at these visual images, but, but man, your, your heart, your mind can go after somebody else, another man, and maybe not your husband, but you begin to have these thoughts and, and they take root there in your mind. And God's saying, no! It may be fine for the world, and that's what the world does, and the world says, okay, that's what's in every movie out there, but, but, but no, you are different. You are set apart. Take captive those thoughts because you know here's how it plays out, right? You sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a lifestyle. And God says, I'm a holy God. Sin is a big deal to me. I understand you're going to make mistakes every day. I understand you're going to mess up. I understand that. And I'm going to offer grace and forgiveness. But when you approach sin and you say, well, you know what? I'm a believer and I know God's going to forgive me. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. Ah. God's going, no, 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 no. It's a big deal. And it's such a big deal that I want to come and dwell among you. And I want you to understand who I am. And I want you to understand the plan I have for you. Because I don't want sin destroying you, your relationships, or your life. And we got to take captive the thoughts that even root here in our heart. 
Do you know if you go through here in Exodus 32, before they get the tabernacle built, Moses goes back up on the mountain and, and the people are like, well, I don't know. Maybe God hasn't, you know, he's forgotten about us. He's not around. Hey guys, remember back in Egypt, we built that, you know, golden calf we used to worship. Hey, let's build one of those. And they begin to worship and he's like, no. And we can so easily drift away from the Lord. And God says, no, 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 no. You start with me and prayer Worship, you hold on to me and I'll offer grace and forgiveness, but you understand that I am a holy God. You see that right here. You see that right here. The third thing that we see is this, is that God desires to dwell with us through Christ. God desires to dwell with us through Christ. If you keep going, the Lord said to Moses, Moses will then say to the people, hey, let's build this tabernacle, this dwelling place. Moses in the Old Testament is that intermediary between God and man, but it becomes about Christ and Christ alone. And God's setting the stage. So if you turn with me over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and really you can only understand this passage in Hebrews 10 if you know about the tabernacle. It only makes sense if you understand a little bit about the tabernacle because it says in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Right? The holy place, that's where God dwelled, right? That's the Ark of the Covenant where only the high priest would go in once a year. But we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus because we are forgiven, when Christ comes into your heart, your life, you're forgiven for your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. You have confidence to enter into that relationship with God by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, right? That curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now notice verse 22, let us draw near to God. See, your call and my call is to draw near to God. God comes to us. God makes the first move. God comes to us. But our call is to draw near to him. Tabernacle, if you go back and study it, tabernacle is both a noun and a verb. It's a noun that we build this sanctuary, build this tabernacle. But it's a verb that we tabernacle with God. We, we are in relationship with him. We dwell with him. And how do we do that? Well, it keeps going. And tells us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. A sincere heart. And a sincere heart means honesty. Right? I'm going to be honest with God. Sometimes, sometimes we can, you know, put on an air about us. We can, like, uh, you know, it looks like we have it all together. But, but God searches the heart. God examines the mind. And for us to be honest, and maybe this morning even, just to say, God, honestly, I'm struggling. Or God, honestly, I need you. God, honestly, the, Things are hard. God, honestly, be honest with God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, believing that he is God, believing that he can handle the things that we face, the things that we go through, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. What's that? That's salvation. It's redemption. It's God making us new in Christ and in Christ alone, right? We can't save ourselves. We could live in our guilt, but God has set us free from that through salvation. Having our bodies washed with pure water, what's that? Baptism, right? That you and I follow Christ. Christ calls us to be baptized. And maybe you've given your heart and life to Christ, but you've never been baptized. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Oh, take that step of faith. 
put a stake in the ground. I want to be baptized in Christ. And then it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now what is that? That's obedience. That is obedience. That's us dwelling with God in obedience. God, I want to daily trust you. I'm daily, I want to allow Christ to dwell in me. I want to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hey, let us encourage each other and let us not give up meeting together. It's so important we're here today as some are in the habit of doing. That's obedience. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, notice day is capitalized there. That's the day Christ returns, the day approaching so this call to obedience, you see, it's always been a call for God and his people. Now remember back in the Old Testament when God said to the people, hey, build this tabernacle. And then God calls them to bring an offering. If you go back to Exodus 36, look at their obedience. It says, so all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left the work and they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. And then Moses gave an order, and they sent word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already brought was more than enough. I mean, these people were like, God, you've invited us in. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, you've forgiven us. You've redeemed us. You've restored us. Let us be obedient. Let us be generous. Let us invest in the things that are of you. And God's call has always been that for his people. And God comes to us to dwell with us. You know, like you, my heart was broken last weekend, last Sunday night and Monday morning when you started seeing all the things coming out of Las Vegas. I pray, and I was praying so much for just the victims and their families, and it was just evil. It was just sheer evil. I, I was mad and angry, and then we were finding out that there was people from our church who had been there, and uh, some people had just left, and other people had friends that were there, and uh, family members, and um, I was praying for all the churches in Las Vegas, as I've been praying this morning, knowing that churches are filled there in Las Vegas right now as people are searching for help and for hope. And I started reading stories and seeing stories coming out of Las Vegas and seeing about people who would go back in and were rescuing people in the midst of the gunfire and all the things that were happening. And this one story that I read and my wife, she's like, you got to see this, you got to see this. And we, we were looking at it and I was like, oh man. And my heart just went out. And I started looking at this story and it, it was about a lady who, when the gunfire was going off and everybody was running and, and, and she was running by and she saw this young man who had been shot. And she said, something, something compelled me to stop. And she goes, I don't know why. I, don't, I know him. I just saw him. He had been shot. He was bleeding. And I couldn't run anymore. And something compelled me to stop. And I just stopped and I looked at him and I thought, you know what? I wouldn't want to be alone. And so she said, I, 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 I knelt down. And I took his hand. And I held his hand and he squeezed my hand. 
And then she said, I just sat down there by him. And I just held on to his hand. His cell phone rang and she said, I picked it up and I answered it and it was his mom. Called to see if he was okay. And I told her I was with him. And his mom's crying and I'm crying and I'm just holding his hand for longest time and there's gunshots that are going off all around. There's people that are running. It was just mass chaos and his mom began to tell me stories about him when he was a kid. And she said, I sat there for hours with this. After a little while, his hand went limp and I knew that he had passed. And I just kept talking to his mom. And I read that story and I just thought about this. Our mess and our brokenness and our hurt and our pain and in a world that is just seems like it's out of control, there is a God who loves us so much that he comes to us. He knows our past, right? And he can go back and recount all the times that he's been drawing us to himself and all the times that he saved us and protected us, all these times. And, and he finally comes to us and just says, hey, here I am. And he invites us to put our hand in his and to hold on to him with all we've got. And knowing that he's never going to give up. And he's never going to let go. And even when we pass from this world, he's still going to be with us. And dwell with us. (laughs) You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in Christ. You see it today. When God was sending his son, he said, call him Emmanuel. Which literally means God with us. I don't know what you're going through today. I really don't. But I know this, God's here. And in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your mess, in the midst of a world of fear, in a world that seems like it's out of control, there is a God who is reaching down to you and inviting you to know him And inviting you to allow him to dwell in your heart through Christ. And to know that he'll never let you go. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Right where you are today. Hey, would you be honest with God this morning? Maybe today you just feel like your life is out of control. Maybe today there's challenges that you're facing financially relationally today would you just reach your hand out and say God I need you God I need you maybe today is a day where you just say God I confess my sins and I'm yours maybe God's calling you to be baptized maybe God's calling you just following obedience. I don't know. But I know he's here. And I know his story from the beginning has been about him pursuing his people. And he's been pursuing you. And you can look back over your life and you can see how he's been faithful. 
and you come to today and know that he will always be with you and always be for you. We live in a broken world, but God will never give up on you so you don't give up on him. So Father God, here we are, your disciples today. And God, our world continues to change and it just seems like it gets worse all the time. But, but yet, Father, we can look back with assurance and know, God, that you are with us. And you are a God who is going to be there always. To the very end of the age, God, you are with us. And you want to make your dwelling in our hearts and our lives. So I pray this morning, Father, for those here who, who are far from you, that this morning, God, maybe a time of salvation, where you just say, God, I want you. I've been trying to fix everybody around me today. God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm giving my life to Christ. For others here, Father, maybe we've become casual about sin. I pray your spirit would convict us and call us to holiness and to purity. And not perfection, Father, but, but that we are pursuing being like you and the things that you love and you desire. Father, I pray for all of us this call to obedience as you invite us to be a part of your story and to be people who offer grace and who sit by the broken and the hurting and those in need. Use us, God, as the hands and feet of Christ. So, Lord, we're your people today. And we thank you, Father, for inviting us into your story. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but listen, you're not alone. You're just not alone. Inside your worship guide, there's a communication card. And, and on that communication card, if you're a first-time guest, you can fill that information out. But also, if you've been coming to Rolling Hills for a while and you want to talk with a pastor or you want to meet with a counselor or you want to be baptized, hey, make a commitment, you know, and just say, I want to, I want to follow Christ. I want to be in the center of God's will. I want to walk with him. On the back of that card is a place for prayer requests, and we pray through every one of these. And we've seen God do miracles, and so just write that down, and then in a moment you can drop that in the basket. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward, and it's a chance for us to give back, a chance for us to invest in God's kingdom and for God's glory. And so, as you're here today, we have a chance to give. Let me pray for us as we respond. Father, thank you. Thank you for inviting us in and God allowing us to, to give and to invest. And thank you for hearing our prayers and meeting our needs. Thank you that you're a God who comes to us. Everything we have comes from you anyway, Father. And God, we trust you today. And we love you. In your name we pray and we give. Amen.